Hey, welcome back team. How you doing? Another episode of Beautiful Dustbecks. How you doing out there in Beautiful Dustbeck land? You walking, talking, thinking, feeling, crazy, curious, kick, but little things. A lot of my little Beautiful Dustbecks are graduating. I'm a high school science teacher and this is graduation week, so all my little seniors are taking off. So it's kind of sad. It's a little like, it's awesome. Like it's great for them. They're going to go on to greater and bigger things. And soon on this podcast, we're hopefully going to get a bunch of their voices. I'm going to start to ask them some questions about their STEM you know, education. How did they feel about it? What were the characteristics of what made a great teacher? What class did they enjoy just because of the content or simply because of the teacher? What would they have changed? What would they have learned more of? And then drive it home with what was the most astounding thing they've ever learned and see where that conversation takes us because we totally underestimate kids. We constantly and will ever underestimate kids. And if there's any audience in the world that I want to know about what they're thinking or feeling, I want to know about my awesome little beautiful dustback high school's science kids because they're awesome they're wonderful dudes it's just always sad as a teacher we sit there and we spend so much time together you know it's like a big part of both of our lives and i'm assuming they don't hate me maybe some dislike me a little bit more than others some probably love me you know it's just what we do it's it's a relationship between the two of us and as soon as the bell rings during senior days and like the finals are there some don't even come to school on the last day and it it's always kind of sad. I'll probably go to graduation just to say like formal goodbyes to someone because you get pretty close with some of the kids. You really start to care about them. And I know some of them will do wonderful things. And there's so many wonderful kids out there. Not a ton of, you know, there's more wonderful kids than our wonderful students, you know what I'm saying? But it's not too bad. So don't even then still listen to this. Have a wonderful graduation. You know you'll do great. Stay beautiful. Stay dustbecky. Stay epic because you're all awesome. So speaking of epic, let's talk about again this epic earth. We're doing a lot of episodes, and if you guys are getting into this and you've been listening to some of them, they they come full circle. They go round and round and round. But at the corner of it, at the chassis, are two things, earth and life. And this week, Kepler, the Kepler telescope, uh, had some new findings. Actually, it's like the, there weren't like new findings the way I understand it, is that a new scientist discovered a new way to look at these and to really discover a huge amount of this. And it was discovered by a guy from Princeton, a man from Princeton named Timothy Morton. He was working at Princeton and he actually came up with this new mathematical way of looking at these the data from Kepler and fast forward he has now discovered using this method 1,282 new exoplanets. That more than doubles the previous total of exoplanets that are out there. And you know exoplanets to us don't seem like a big deal but if you teach science, you teach astronomy, one of the things people are always stoked on is they're always, always, always stoked on aliens and you know we talk about how many stars there are and guys there's just crazy amounts of stars epic amazing crap tons of stars you can even beyond not comprehend i just gave my big speech last week and we break down how many galaxies there are and there used to be galaxies i was told that there were 200 billion the new numbers i've now heard from brian cox on some of the videos that i watch are upwards of 600 billion galaxies there's a hundred billion stars inside our milky way galaxy alone so the sheer math of that is staggering however we don't always know this We did not know. There's no definitive evidence saying that every single planet would have, I'm sorry, every single star would have a planet around it. That's not a known fact. It makes perfectly logical sense to me. I mean, I and honestly didn't even tell I was reading about this. I never really thought that it was kind of questioned, but that's science. You can't just assume. Correlation and causation do not equal two things. I don't know if I just used that right, but you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to sound smart on this sweet microphone here. But this idea that everything is made up of the same stuff, it's all made of the same stellar debris, for, formulating and following through on the same laws of physics, and that's a staggering thing to comprehend. But now Kepler has helped 
helped us understand these ideas. Kepler is now leading us to this concept that, um, like, like uh, what's his name here? Paul Hertz says, we didn't know if exoplanets were rare or common. We're that much closer that there could be planets. There could be way more planets than stars. I'm sorry. We now know there are way more planets than there are stars. He still adds the word could in there, which, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me that there wouldn't be planets around these. But the wonder of this whole thing, that Kepler launching in 2009, what Kepler does is it looks for little blips in the light. You're, it's like if I shined a flashlight in your eyeball and held up you know, a grain of sand from miles away from you, you'd just see the light of the flashlight, if that, right? Or even up to your eyeball. You wouldn't even see it. You need a very precise instrument to look for the shadows. You look for the things that are, as something passes in front of it. And that little pass, that little dip in the light is this, is a planet. That's called a light transit. And it takes a lot of data and a lot of information. And Kepler itself has mapped out and not even mapped out gazed at and looked at and monitored for many many years now over 150,000 main sequence stars and what that means that means medium mass stars that means stars relative to us because that's the question the question is not just planets it's looking for exoplanets it's looking for planets that are habitable to what we have comparable to the distance away from the planet and rocky and out of this new data just there's huge amounts of stuff so we find all these stars out there and there's been roughly 3,200 of them verified 2,325 Five have been verified by Kepler and recently now just in a very they, they related to like if you dropped a bunch of breadcrumbs and picked up a breadcrumb here and there you'd pick up a lot of breadcrumbs but this new data this new mathematical interpretation is giving them a broom it's giving them a broom to sweep the breadcrumbs directly into the dustpan and when you find 1,284 of them with 550 of them being solid rocky ones and a huge amount of them being in the habitable zone that's insane that's staggering that's awesome that's epic that's wild so this concept of life is so amazing to look at this. And it goes in two different directions. And I always tell my kids in my astronomy class, I think there's two major questions, two huge epic questions that are out there. Maybe three. The first one is the singularity, you know, the, the dawn of all things, everything. Where, how, why, what, what is it? How did it come into be? It's the most epic shoulder shrug on the planet, followed by the singularity of life on this planet. And when I mean by singularity, this point of infinite mass and density or whatever, this catalyst that ignites and expands outwards and goes through natural selection. Because we as life are evolving and the universe universe is evolving. It's just changing and going on and on and on and on. My kids will write an essay on this tomorrow. I can't wait to read them. Hopefully they can tie this stuff all together. So the singularity of life on this planet is a is a misnomer. It's a total misunderstanding. We haven't been there. 4.5 billion years is a staggering, epic, massive, incredible number. Inconceivable in size and scale of this concept of deep time. And now we're this, these little humans, these little homo sapiens trying to figure out, trying to look back into the time and be the mysterious creature, be the mystery solver and that's what we do as scientists science is a story it's not just a story told with paper and pen it's a story told with technologies mathematics engineering and the greatest minds ever achievable on the human race trying to come up with these audacious ideas to give us understandings of everything that's awesome that's humans that's science that's what gets me pumped up and gets me stoked you know and now we look at this whole thing we think about life itself and this kind of got me going it, it correlated i, I kind of give you episodes based on what stimulates in my brain and i'm reading a book right now by carl sagan saying it's called the varieties of the scientific experience and it's his kind of personal memoir trying to decipher and tie together the, you know religion and science he was just a, an incredibly smart human being that not only studied science with such vigor he studied religion and theology with such vigor to the point where he was able to like you know trump 
theologians, people who study it, like they were blown away by his knowledge of understanding it. And what got me thinking about this is he's te- he's talking about the speciality of everything, which is which is a principle of you know arguing religion for science, meaning like that God had a play in it. The anthropomorphic principles that it's so perfect, it's so wonderful, it's so divine that some divine creature had to be a part of it, you know. And he was talking about the idea of just big G, this, the force of gravity. That if we just change that number down or up a little bit, say we go down with it, that the force of gravity is a little bit weaker or even a little stronger we'd be able i think it was stronger we're able to we'd be able to get like closer and more uh like the smaller stars which are more common than the bigger stars just because smaller stars have a longer lifespan so they have a higher chance of forming up you know planets not exploding or expanding into them but that's a different topic i think i did that one stellar evolution you know that's that's just nucleosynthesis and but the problem is is you get closer to these stars and the speciality of the gravity would be amazing but most likely it would tidally lock our planet. It'd be like our moon. It would be able to not, it would rotate at the same rate that it orbits and only one side of the planet would ever for would ever face the sun. We wouldn't have seasons. We wouldn't have this wonderful stuff. And that's just uh, got me thinking. It got me pondering this whole idea. But, you know, this idea of, of life and the speciality of the whole thing and this kind of, it's so perfect that it needs to have some kind of creator is, is a fascinating tale. But the more and more we think that we life can't exist at X, Y, and Z, it flourishes in A, B, and C. Like, we have found life in the most extreme, archaic environments we can possibly imagine. From the beginning of finding them at the hydrothermal vents, which, again, logic, science, brain, me, thinks that that had to have been the original primitive, primitive, you know, primitive, like, OG life, you know, the original gangster bacteria that are out there. It just has to be. It's got to be those things to me. But then we find, you know, we find bacteria, archaebacteria that exist inside the rim of nuclear waste containers, inside the mud of these, these, these lakes that are just incredibly dead, discovering more more and more life over and over and over again and life is so amazing and the, the craziness the wonder the awe the awesome whatever adjective you want to use about the craziness of life on this planet is not just life it's biodiversity it's the biomass itself we don't just have life we have life like big l like l i f e we have the whole letter we got it all we have so many creatures that are out there 35 million species existing on this globe give or take that's just an estimate because we haven't discovered them all and that's only one percent of the other 99 percent of all the creatures that have ever existed on the face of this planet have been ridden to extinction nature has eradicated them and that's nature man nature doesn't play nature doesn't goof around i was trying to get my kids stoked on science and they're they love these violent video games and such. There's nothing more violent than nature itself. You know, you're walking around. You're like a little gazelle. You're like in the thing. You're like, oh, right, just eating some grass. No big deal. Oh, God, is that a cheetah? No, not cheetah. Back to grass. Oh, God, it's a cheetah. And then your, your, your throat is ripped out. You are choked to death by massive canines of an epic predator over millions of years of evolution designed to kill you. And you're designed to escape. And it's an epic battle. It's just these crazy, crazy tales of this whole thing. I'm not really sure where I was going with that. I got a little diverted there. I lost my space in my notes. But just this idea of life, just this craziness of life on this planet, comes back to this concept that I wanted to talk about this week of the Goldilocks zone. The Goldilocks zone is exactly what it sounds like. When we look for these exoplanets, we're looking for them within what we call the, Zobo- the Goldilocks zone, also called the zone of, inhabitabil- of habitability or the habitable zone. I actually like the Goldilocks zone because it actually makes me laugh. I love how sometimes science is so science, but then it has these like really, really basic names. You know, it's like, well, like, bro, like, you know, it's like, it's like in this area by the sun. Well, yeah, like, so it, like, can't be too hot like you can't be too cold oh like the porridge like the three bears porridge yeah 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 yeah, like goldilocks so you know it's like it's like it's like in the goldilocks zone like hey 
I like it. Run it, you know. I just always love that. My my favorite of all time is just the super massive black hole, right? You can. I don't know why when I do these scientist voice, I always come up with like bro voice, you know, like they're broing up on their computers. But like, dude, like check this out, man. We totally like we totally discovered this thing at like the center of the galaxy. <laughs> what is it? Oh god, I don't know. But man, it's like super massive. Like it's like really massive. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, what can you see it? No, no, no. It's like black. It's like it's like this like black hole in space. Like it sucks in all the light. So it's like it's like this super massive massive black hole you know what i'm saying like a super massive black hole in space like what should we call it oh bro like it's like a it's like a great band name what yeah it's just called super massive black hole it's also a muse song it's really good i know the kids love that one but i just love how they get that every once in a while these science names are are rooted in latin they're just based in you know like like plutoid like they're just based in just funny facts but the goldilocks zone has some swing to it and it's changing over and over and over again and it's getting out into the different areas of it and we just look at our own solar system it gives us a wonder of our goldilocks zone 93 million miles away from us we're flanked by two planets of venus and mars and they're very similar to us they're made up of some very incredible similar compositions venus especially and venus is so beautiful it's named after the goddess of beauty but venus is not beautiful baby venus is gnarly venus is so hot you can melt lead on the surface of venus neil degrassi he calculated using his wonders of mathematics you could cook a pizza in nine seconds nine seconds you could cook a pizza on the surface of, of venus not to mention it's raining and snowing sulfuric acid it's beyond hotter than you can possibly possibly imagine and what some people think, there was a theory I was reading about that how and why did this, what we call a runaway greenhouse effect go down? Some people think that at the beginning of the solar system, the universe, or the, the sun was probably a little bit hotter. I'm sorry, a little cooler. And then it, as it heated up, as it went through its life cycles and got hotter and hotter and hotter, it was actually able to, you know, it gave more heat. It, it increased heat to the planet. And that actually increased evaporation of the ocean, which was then held onto by its greenhouse effect. And water is really what you know co2 and water go hand in hand the co2 greenhouse effect that we get that gets the bad rap for global warming that actually traps water vapor and water vapor will trap the heat by reflecting it back down so the planet just snowballed it run away and as it got hotter more water evaporated more greenhouse emissions went on and now we have a hell we have a hell it's literally hell it's like the goddess of beauty but it'd be the most hellacious place you could possibly imagine and then we flank us with mars and guys there's evidence i don't the evidence seems incredibly clear using topography physical characteristics and you know Mars curiosity that there was probably water on that bad boy and water is you know if we have water and energy we have life and it has a primitive atmosphere but what happened to them not only are they on the outskirts of the habitable zone would have been much colder what truly happened to them like a little mini habitable zone relates to the tectonics of the planet our our plate tectonics have to do with everything we don't know this we don't give enough credit to the tectonics that is below us we're sitting on an ocean of magma this entire mantle and crust are riding around on a sea of liquid hot magma but what that thing does is it creates an electromagnet creates a dynamo as it goes around and it creates this massive thing called the bow shock effect and the bow shock protects us from the sun without it the sun itself would evaporate and eviscerate our own atmosphere and we've talked about the atmosphere the carbon the nitrogen the oxygen allows us to breathe and build people and life and creatures 
Yes. And without our magnetosphere, we wouldn't have it. And that's what they think happened to Mars. We don't know why, but its tectonics ceased. Its little planet shut down, and it lost its atmosphere, therefore then lost its water, and most likely then, if not, if it had it, probably would have lost its life. However, life's pretty substantial. And, you know, that's what this stuff is. You know, this Goldilocks zone is just random. It's from this chaos. When this planet or- formed up, the solar system forms up, and the solar nebula hypothesis flanking us by these two amazing planets, these two planets planets on either side of us that are just, you know, are kind of like sisters. They're they're so close to us in size and kale. We have one side on one. We, the greenhouse goes a little too much. You know, our atmosphere is too thick, too much of the good stuff. You're hell. It's horrible. You go too little. You lose tectonics, lose the atmosphere, lose the water, lose everything. You have Mars. And 93 million miles away sits Earth. It sits the thing, the thing that you are on right now, that you are sitting on, driving on, running on, walking on with these ear in your head listening to this and if you are thank you for giving me part of your life and allowing my voice to transmit through your brain and we are surrounded by Goldilocks conditions we're surrounded by this that we our Goldilocks understanding of the universe and looking for these stars changes because life is so resilient and not even the Goldilocks we now you know we'll talk about another an episode I, I have so many episodes on my brain I want to get through you know the, the idea of the moons most likely if we find life in the solar system which we totally can find in my opinion I think it's very feasible that it exists it's going to exist on a moon it's going to exist on titan europa enceladus io all these crazy moons that are out there because they have heat and they have energy and that's it we study the biomes and bio you have heat and energy you have life period if there's heat and energy there's an ecosystem it's not just life there's big l life there's ecosystems flourishing and that's the wonder of this all when we get into the goldilocks and the ideas behind this we live in a universe of many goldilockses the systems upon systems of you this perfectly little thing and i'm not trying to sound morbid but you think of like a genetic abnormality a genetic deformation in a human and all the crazy you know hindrances that can take place how rapidly i remember when i watched the uh the theory of everything that 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 that's that not documentary that really good movie about stephen hawking's life i it really pained me and sat at me and really terrified me just to think how quickly and utterly downward spiraling the body itself can go this universe of awesome that you have at your fingertips how it could just slowly slowly degrade and you become trapped inside the thing that you are And when we come back to this, when we talk about this, when we think about this, think about the science. I want you to feel it and make it feel and fill you up. So regardless what's going on in your day, your week, your year, your whatever, you're sitting on this planet. You're sitting in the habitable zone. You're a part of it. And the audacity that the cells and the atoms and the energies and everything around us were able to randomly, chaotically occur to create the thing that you are. Oh my God, right? That's just epic in all size and scale and stature. And the Goldilocks can conditions can buffer they can go in either directions and you have the ability to control your goldilocks conditions you have the ability to fill your body up with good food good energy good water hydration exercise sleep nutrition and thoughts thinking patterns brain farts things like that you get to do you get to be a part of this and get to just ride around on this whole thing because what i love pondering and i don't want to get too theological versus science on this but you know that's the grand question that comes down many times is this stuff is so perfect 
it is so crazy. That's one of Carl Sagan's book is trying to talk about that. He talks about the as ideas that we have such an incomplete idea of physics. You know, like the, there could be parallel universes, and if parallel universes exist, this whole kind idea of the speciality of humans is is null. It's void because it's just it would occur. It has to occur. Every possible thing that can occur will occur in a parallel universe or a multiverse. So he just argues that we shouldn't have these devout. You know, we shouldn't have these big answers to questions. We should just continue to ask the questions because we don't. We have to look at it from a standpoint. Any time in human history when humans think that they have something figured out, we don't. Period. We 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 just don't. We're we're wrong about something, and that's the awesomeness of being human. But it needs to be an even awesomer human, awesomer human to you know check and make sure that we're being aware of that, that we understand our human bias and a little bit of our little wiggle room around us. And that's awesome. That's amazing. That's what makes me so pumped up on this. That's what makes me think, feel, and be in awe. And when we think about it from a theological standpoint, in my brain, all I can offer you is my thoughts on this. You know, we look out into the cosmos and it ever expands and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, we understand that all these things, the solar system, the planets, the stars, even the galaxies, that maybe even the universe is not special. It's nothing crazy. But still, in this vastness that is space, in this vastness that is human understanding and ingenuity and craziness, we haven't found life. We haven't even found microbial life. We haven't found itty-bitty life. We haven't found single-cell, simplest, most dynamically teeny-tiny life that we could have. If we could, if we did, it would change everything. And if you think it won't, you're not thinking hard enough. That we go through human history understanding that we are everything and turns out that life is out there? What if life is common? What if life is just everywhere in the smallest form? What if life is common, you know, like advanced life? What if we're just the end result of natural selection carried out on any rocky canvas in the solar in the universe? That'd be crazy. That would still be awesome. That would, in my mind, would not downgrade human life whatsoever. That would upgrade everything. That would make things more special. On the flip, if we go out there and we discover and somehow figure out in some way that we determine that life is incredibly rare, what if we were the only life? You know, what if we were the only thing on the planet? I'm not talking humans. I'm just talking L-I-F-E, biology, here on E-A-E-E-A-R-T-H. There we go. I was trying to spell it. Don't, don't get in a rant while I spell that. will go sideways on me quickly here. Duh. But that's crazy. Just, you know, think about that. Mull that around a little bit. And either way, shape, or form, you shake it. Whatever that comes down to, whether or not we are common or rare or infinitely rare or infinitely common, it's all a part of it. It's all amazing. And regardless how you feel about that, why do we need to put us at the pinnacle of it? Why can't we just be a part of the circles? Why can't we be just into the cycles upon cycles? Sit back, relax, and enjoy the fact that you get to be in the circle, that you have this circle that you call your life, your years on this tiny little rock. Because it's all not forever. It's all not there. You know, it, it, it's like, I, that's why I struggle with these questions and these answers. It's like there's a something right there there there's 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 the anthropomorphic principle that goes out there this planet based on science and what we understand it will not be here you know billions of years from now our sun will expand it's going to expand it's the processes of physics that will take place our sun will ignite helium it's turning hydrogen into helium right now which gives us all of the energy all the energy that is inside me and is you right now like i told you is starlight burning turning that hydrogen into helium and releasing the photons the energy however sooner or later that core is going to get bigger enough and it's going to ignite the helium and it's going to expand and when it does that 
the entire existence of all things, not just humans or light, uh, humans or anything, the, the, the planet itself will be gas. This planet, this thing around us will become debris and will be left over, will be a white dwarf at the center and those beautiful tie-dye circles that maybe some other society gets the gaze upon and calls them a planetary nebula. And that's not meant to be a bummer. You know, and again, in relative to your life, it's almost not, it's like not even worth worrying about too much because you don't have, that. you won't be here. You're, you're only going to be here for a set period of time and your atoms and energy will be recycled back into the globe. But just know and feel the fact that you're just surrounded by habitable zones, that whatever characteristic, that's what I want to get through to this, is that whatever you take about your body, your life, your thinking, your feeling, from your brains to your fine, to your motor skills, to your sensory skills, you know, ears, eyes, nose, throat, whatever, whatever it may be, the simple act of you shoving a hamburger in your face and, and allowing to be turned into the things that's going to build you, continue to repair the thing that you are, and you get to sit in this chair and stand up after this and go forth into this ether that is earth and be a walking, talking, thinking, feeling thing that has ears to hear, eyes to see, hands to create music, art, language, Shakespeare, Mona Lisa, the Black Keys, you know, anything that you can possibly comprehend, you can understand. And you're not, you're not only that, you know, I think creatures understand these things. They understand and see things that make them happy. We get to name it. We get to dive into it. We get to have the brain that allows us to think about it. And we get the brain that allows us then to create words and crap, just be creative. I'm still stoked on being on my, that podcast called You're a Creative Push. Just this ideas of creativity. That's what all this stuff is. You go through the blogospheres and you look at all these. It's The best podcasts are the ones that are trying to stimulate creation. Why are we into that? It's because we can. It's because it's an expression of the Goldilocks of who we are. It's because inside us is this feeling that we have to create something. We have to create a new Goldilocks condition for our creative minds and our creative self. And that excites me. That gets me pumped up. And that's what I hope that my graduating seniors and others out there in the world can think and feel is that you are perfect. You are a Goldilocks conditions in just your existence. But take care of it. Expand that Goldilocks zone. Fuel and feed that Goldilocks zone. Keep you in the homeostatic rhythm. Don't get locked into your body by falling out of shape. Don't get locked into your body by, you know, bad nutrition. Allow for these simple little life tweaks that I can help you with someday if you ever really needed me to. That's like a different set of podcasts. I know a ton about health and wellness and that's why I do it. That's what I do. What I do is not just to look good with my shirt off, which I'm like, oh, you know what? Okay, whatever. But it's to feel better. It's to live in and live and go dynamically through this planet and suck the life out of every moment that I have. My little mini Goldilocks conditions I want to hang on to because that's what we have. That's what we do and that's it. That's us. That's humans. We are the universe's way of understanding itself. Thank you, Carl Sagan, for your wise words. So science continues. Kepler continues. We're finding exoplanets every single day and we sit in a universe with just the right amount of G, just the right amount of gravity, just the right amount of everything. Whatever came in to be, whatever it is, just feel it, think it, be it, and go out there into the world and just be awesome, guys. Be amazing and be wonderful and enjoy it. And if you are giving me your time once a week, twice a week, whatever, to listen to some of these episodes, you're amazing. Thank you for sharing that time with me. It truly means a ton to me. I don't know who you are unless you reach out to me. I'd love to interact with you and talk to you. Maybe you can be on the podcast one day. Soon I'm going to start the interviews. Summer's rolling around, people, because I'm a teacher, y'all. Three months off, no big deal. And I want to start doing interviews. But you could be on the show. You can answer me your question of what is your most astounding fact? What gets you pumped on this world of science that makes you listen to this ranty, crazy blonde kid spitting science at you once a week? So reach out to me. Figure out a way. On Twitter, at the underscore science bro. Facebook and Instagram, 
Instagram, at BeautifulDustSpecs. BeautifulDustSpecs.com, okay? Find it. Find the post right in the comments. You'll be the first one ever to comment on my website. It's kind of a pretty website. I spent some money on it. Use it. You know, use these things. Use these endeavors to communicate with me. Let me know. I promise you I will get back to you, okay? Find my find my email through my webpage and get back to me. I want to know what is getting you stoked. What topics? Give me something. Kick into motion my brain and be like, dude, have you heard about this? I'll be like, yeah, brah. Let's roll. And I swear to God, I'll run with it. And you'll be the inst- you'll be like the catalyst for my next episode anyways guys you're beautiful you're dust specs you're beautiful dust specs i love each of you have a wonderful day week month year peace